Hello, hello, and a third hello. Welcome to Don't Forget Your Towel. Today we'll be playing Lovecraft-esque, a GM-less storytelling game of brooding cosmic horror designed by Becky Anison and Josh Fox from Black Armada Games. Lovecraft-esque is a game with three different roles, the narrator, the witness and the watchers. The narrator does most of the GMing while the witness plays the Lovecraftian protagonist whose tale we vicariously play through and the watchers work as co-GMs, adding and embellishing details as well as playing any NPCs that are necessary. What's unique about this game is that the roles change with every scene and no one really knows what's going on. Each scene the narrator introduces a clue to heighten the brooding horror of the setting and at the end of each scene all the players secretly note down what they believe to be the final horror that is causing all of these terrible things. Now, I'm sure that you know that I'm a big horror of horror games, and specifically Lovecraftian games, and I can sincerely say that Lovecraft-esque is perhaps the best system I've really ever played that really captures the slow brooding dread that I find so pervasive in Lovecraftian literature. It really encourages the players to weave something together while always keeping you on your toes, kindly moulding you through a story of twists and turns that are quite delightfully surprising. If you're a fan of Lovecraftian horror and role-playing, I definitely encourage you to check this game out. That being said, for this particular episode, a few trigger warnings first and foremost. This episode contains a bit of strong language, no swear words or anything like that, but strong language nonetheless. Additionally, there's a scene that contains a pregnancy, so if that's something that triggers you, please keep listening until the second scene and then skip around three minutes and you should basically skip that part. With that all out of the way, let's get on to the episode. It's just a little bit eerie Drains your soul till it's weary Makes you just a bit dreary But it's all Lovecraft-esque It's rancid and vile Stitched your lips to a smile We cannot scream no escaping your dreams Falling in through the seams It's all Lovecraft-esque Be it our strength Our wit, our craft From Faerun to Arkham to Mars We'll take the quest Hello, I'm Azul, your host and narrator, although I guess today I'm kind of one of the many narrators around the table. Today we'll be joined by some familiar but no less amazing faces. I'm going to skip Erin for the moment. Wow. <laughs> Isabel, hello. It's been a while. How's it going? It has been. Life is good. Thank you for asking, Azul. <laughs> I have a plug. Shall I do the plug? Right Everybody it. knows my socials now. I should say it again, maybe? My public Facebook page is Isabel Cohen, and you can find me on Instagram at Isabel on Insta. And I have a play coming up. It is The Picture of Dorian Gray, and it's going to be great at Ellerslie Theatre, and it opens on the 10th of June. Exciting. Who are you playing? I am playing Sybil. Really? Yes. She is a love interest that gets caught up in the life of Dorian Gray and suffers greatly because of it. Good times. <laughs> Michaela, hello again. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> okay, life is okay. 
so Michaela, tell us tell us who you are. I mean, we've heard it a lot of times, but tell us again. Mm-hmm. I am the composer for Don't Forget to Tell podcast. <laughs> I also do music and sound for video games. You can find me on many platforms under Mikate Music. Awesome. And I believe you're looking for work now as well. Yes, I am desperately <laughs> looking for work, Blake. Please. <laughs> Michaela is very talented. Please hire her. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, this is our uh, push to hire Michaela. Yep, yep. <laughs> and last. And apparently least. Erin, <laughs> <laughs> <Aaron>, hello. <laughs> hey, guys, it's Erin. <laughs> Um, you know me. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything to plug at the moment, but if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, you can find me on Facebook, Erin O'Flaherty, performer, writer, or on Instagram at Erin O'Flaherty, actor. Brilliant. So before we started, we decided on a setting and a time period. The location we came up with was London in the 1890s, a London that is dark depressing, not isolated, but dreary, damp and culty. Very culty, with lots of rat and brooding horror. Lots of rat, <laughs> lots of rat. <laughs> <laughs> with lots of rats and brooding horror. We've also come up with a few locations, two for each of us. Do we want to go around and introduce the locations? I can start. My two locations are the Covent Garden Theatre, a thriving, opulent theatre that caught on fire. Now it's just a crumbling semblance of its former glory. And then we have the Regent Circus Bazaar, a seedy marketplace for all things non-kosher, run by Billy McNeely, criminal and disciplinarian. Or at least he calls himself that. My locations are Barney's Freak Show, a shop or like attraction uh, near the Thames, once booming, now with a few freaks left in squalid conditions. There are rumours that Barney has become involved in the opium trade to stay afloat. Maybe he's giving some opium to the freaks. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe the freaks are the opium. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) We'll workshop it. (laughs) Good offer. Okay, we'll um, we'll take that on board. And the second one is The House of Annie Chapman. So Annie Chapman was a victim of Jack the Ripper, and her house was abandoned after her murder, after her gruesome murder. Uh, Nobody else wanted to live there. A few enterprising gentlemen tried to set up an attraction in the years following, but all of them left abruptly under mysterious circumstances. Rumours of haunting abound. Could Annie be the opium? Uh... Good offer. Uh, <laughs> Seeing a pattern here. Yes, <laughs> <I guess> and. <laughs> so my location, the first one is a nunnery, St. Mary's House for Righteous Souls. It used to be a mental asylum. The place shut down for malpractice 15 years ago, but you can still see the remnants of what it used to be. Some of the rooms, for example, still lock from the outside. And my second location is a pub called Dorian's Cavern. Wink, wink. Picture of Dorian Gray opens 10th of June. Uh, Which is a pub with a brothel upstairs. A pretty infamous den of sin. Love it. (laughs) Nice. So um, my first location is Carter's Orphanage for Heretics. Unwanted children with unique talents for the unseen are left here in the care of matron Patricia Carter. 
Occasionally, groups of men are seen entering the property. It is said these children are subject to rituals and experiments, but the police aren't too concerned about their livelihood. Some children never leave. And my second location is an abandoned storage house at the port. A dilapidated wooden hut that is visited at night by cloaked humans. They enter with heavy bags and leave empty-handed. A relatively new padlock keeps the contents of this hut secret, but there are a few holes in the structure if someone were curious enough to look in. Awesome, awesome. So who are we playing? Who is our Lovecraftian protagonist, our witness for this session? I can introduce the witness since I will be playing her for the first scene. And so our witness is Margaret Maggie, as she likes to be called, Maggie Wilson. She's a woman in her late 20s, and she is working in London as a nurse. So the source of her strength, which is essentially what kind of keeps her going and propels her through the story, is her insatiable curiosity and her personality trait that she is starting off with, which will help us keep her consistent as the role changes, is that she is a wallflower, so she can kind of be a bit quiet hang back, go unnoticed. Cool. Let us begin then. In the first scene, I will be the narrator, Erin, because you're to my left, you will be the witness, and Isabel and Michaela will be the watchers. Margaret Wilson has just been evicted from her household. She is now in search of a new place to call her home. After scouring the streets of London during the day, and as sunset is nearing, she comes across what looks to be a old woman calling out for any prospective tenants for a household. A household made of red brick looks quite good. What plants are growing around this house, Michaela? Um, I'd say there's a bit of ivy growing up the walls, the brick walls. And as she nears this location, the woman calls to her. Excuse me, excuse me, love. Are you in search of a new abode by any chance? Oh, why, yes, I am, in fact. A oh. good, good day to you. Splendid, splendid. Mrs. Periwinkle, nice to meet you. Oh, uh, very nice to meet you, Mrs. Periwinkle. My name is Margaret Wilson. Oh. Miss Wilson, lovely to meet you. We are having an open house right this minute. If you are free to come and view the place. Uh, Very good, yes. Uh, Please, lead the way. Wonderful. Mrs. Periwinkle leads the way into this house, and at first glance, it looks to be quite a warm house, a homely house. The inside is not like many other homes that you've seen with torn wallpaper and barely functioning heating. In fact, this, for all intents and purposes, looks like a well-kept-together home. It's two stories, thin, as you would expect, and it's stuck between two larger buildings, one of which you imagine to be some kind of industrial complex, and the other... A florist shop. A beautiful florist shop. What are they selling at the moment? What's in season? Why are you asking us questions about flowers? (laughs) (laughs) They're selling flowers. (laughs) Um, I'd say there's lots of purples and blues. So I'd say maybe we're heading into autumn, winter, and the cooler colors are 
coming in season. Yep, definitely. And in fact, one type of the flower in particular, a pale bluish flower with beckoning petals, seems to be of particular popularity. Soon after entering the house, Mrs. Periwinkle gives you a bit of a twirl, as if to say, look at this wonderful place, and then proceeds to show you around the place. Well, I must say, this is lovely. Oh yes, it's a splendid home. Lots of rooms, good for a family. Uh, yes, well, it's just me at the moment. <laughs> oh, well, you never know. Y yes, indeed. I know many lovely young gentlemen oh. who are looking for a wife at the moment. Uh -oh. Do you mind someone who already has maybe six children? Uh, uh... Yes, I, I must say I, I would mind. Oh, well, never mind. I know plenty of young men. You should stop by my house at some point for oh, tea well. time. I will introduce you. Thank you, Mrs. Periwinkle. How kind. <laughs> yes, I am very good. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, but I but I must uh, inquire, uh, uh, back to the matter at hand, uh, what is the rent? Oh yes, the rent is a very cheap amount for 1890s London. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that is a very cheap amount for 1890s London. <laughs> yes, I thought you would think so. Yes, and, and for such a lovely, uh, well-kept home as well. I, I must say that sounds like quite a bargain. Oh, yes, it absolutely is. Now, I must inform you that the last tenant did die, but not oh. in the house. Uh, okay, uh... How did they die? Oh, that dreadful business with Jack the Ripper. Quite astonishing. Um, <laughs> it's about a sordid affair. Excuse me? Oh, yes, Jack the Ripper. You know, the famous person uh, from uh, a few yes. years ago. Yes. No, I'm well aware. Do you mean to say this was the house of one of the Ripper's victims? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Not just her house. I hear quite a few sordid affairs took place in this house as well. You know that was the type of victim that he went for. Yes, I am aware. Uh, <clears throat> I see. Uh, perhaps I will think on your offer and um, I shall stop by again after work to let you know. Oh, please do. As I say, the rent is very reasonable for 1890s London. <laughs> very reasonable indeed. It was at that moment that Maggie realised that sunset was almost about her and she does not have anywhere she can sleep. <laughs> if you like, you can test it out for the night. You know, if you're feeling a bit superstitious, of course, that can help to yes. alleviate some of your concerns. Th that would be... That would be wonderful. Thank Splendid. you. Let me show you to the master bedroom. Lovely. Mrs. Periwinkle takes you up the stairs, creaking stairs. What do the stairs look like? What are they made of? What's the state they're in? Well, I'd say it's quite... The house is, is quite nice. It's quite clean. So the stairs are well-kept. The railing is a polished form. Why would railings be made out of brass? Um... Okay, yeah, so brass handrails, and what about the state of the staircase as well? Uh, I would just like to make a point that as we go up the stairs, I uh, now that I am a little wary of this house and its uh, previous inhabitants, I'm just um, taking a very careful look around, uh, especially at the the stairs, looking for any, any signs of anything that might be broken or dangerous, looking for any leftover 
uh, human matter. (laughs) As Margaret ascends the staircase, she puts her hand out onto this brass rail, and it feels eerily warm. Oh, (laughs) have you shown the house to many people today, Mrs. Periwinkle? Oh, I can't remember. Maybe it did today. Maybe it was yesterday. Who knows? (laughs) Of course. Mrs. Periwinkle takes you to the top floor of the two floors and you find yourself in a quite a large looking bedroom furnished fully with a lovely queen size bed and a bedside table. And what else is in this room? I'd say the bed has like posts and it has curtains that can be drawn closed. There's also a full length mirror. Ah. Yes. And a sort of getting ready desk, you know, where there's um, oh, some drawers. Dressing table. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Get it ready, desk. <laughs> Looking around the room, you find yourself feeling like, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is a really nice house for a reasonable price in the 1890s. <laughs> a very reasonable price indeed. Yes. You know what? This is this is a lovely place. I, I think I... Uh, I, I don't need to try it out at, at all. I will I will take it. Oh, splendid, splendid. Uh, here you go. I take out some paperwork, which seems to have come from nowhere. <laughs> I, I place it in front of Margaret. Uh, just sign here and here. Yes, lovely. Uh, I give a cursory glance through the, the paperwork, trying to just see if there's anything amiss. A lot of legalese, a surprising amount of legalese for what seems like a last-minute tenancy agreement, but nothing particularly odd about it. Well, I don't really understand. And if that's so, <clears throat> it's very good. Wonderful. I shall leave you to get to it in your new home. Wonderful. Yes, thank you. Oh, rent up front, though. Ah, uh, of course, of course. And I will just uh, take out a, a pouch, a little pouch of notes. Here you are. Wonderful. Pleasure doing business with you, dear. Yes, and you. Uh, and I suppose you will you will stop by to collect the rent. Uh, when can I expect you? Oh, well, if you're still here, I shall be here in a week. Uh, very good. Lovely. Goodbye, darling. At which point, once the money has transferred from the one woman's hands to the other, Mrs. Periwinkle suddenly and very quickly exits the house down the stairs, creaking, and out, leaving Maggie alone in the bedroom. Right. <clears throat> nothing to worry about. It's just, it's just rumours and what whatnot, which would be why. Um, probably not, not a lot of people have wanted to stay in the house for very long. I'm sure that is all she means. And, um, no, this will be, this will be lovely. I, I take a, just another look around. And... Yeah, and, you know, you're pacing while you're thinking, just a bit restless as well, I would imagine, at which point you find yourself in front of the full-length mirror. Mm-hmm. Despite its normalcy, there looks to be this smudge, this darkened smear that seems vaguely humanoid-shaped around the size, your the whole height of an actual human being, just a very, very mildly darkened shape on the mirror. I turn around. There's nothing behind you. 
And I turn back to the mirror. It's still there. It's almost like a darkened shape of a humanoid being where you're standing. So you can see your reflection, mm. but just superimposed on it is the faint, darkened silhouette of a... So it's like around me? Well, it's just in front, like on the mirror. Uh, I try like moving from side to side. It's still... Like, does it stay with me or does it stay in one place? It stays in one place. It's almost like it's been etched onto the mirror, almost like some kind of darkenedness on the mirror. Hmm. Uh, I, I take out my kerchief <laughs> <laughs> and um, start giving it a rub. Nothing seems to work. Nothing. I just look at the handkerchief. Hmm. Very odd. Perhaps it needs some uh, ethanol or... Uh, I shall uh, I shall have to remember to ask the doctor if he knows of any any remedies or or perhaps Mrs. Periwinkle will know. Not to worry. Don't need to look at myself too often. Go and sit over on the bed and give it a little test test out. It's quite a good bed and its softness comforts you ever so briefly away from most of the concerns that seem to be currently plaguing your mind. Cool. I think we're going to call it scene there. That was hilarious, by the way. (laughs) I loved it. Okay, so now it's time to leap into conclusions. Having just played through the scene, we need to each use the clue, in this case, the strange smudge in the mirror, to come up with what we think is the final horror that is causing all of these strange occurrences. Go wild, go tame, go wherever you want, and just come up with what you think is the best idea. Listeners, for the purposes of your enjoyment, we're going to actually run out of earshot and then each record what our own conclusions are so that we don't reveal it to each other, but also reveal it to you so that you can follow along with us. Because we love you. Okay, so as I am the narrator for this coming scene, this is going to be actually informing what the next clue will be. So based on this humanoid-shaped dark patch... I am thinking that it is a haunted mirror, so some kind of demonic spirit or vengeful ghost. My theory is that somebody was burnt in front of the mirror and it left a mark, kind of like a nuclear flash. I think a flash bomb was let off in the room, but something that was very concentrated. be a small one that was lobbed directly at the person who was there so it left a mark on the mirror okay so my conclusion is that a cult is hunting down prostitutes and burning them and this is my own extension dissecting them for parts for experiments Okay, so I actually have no idea what I came up with. Um, It was just like a spur of the moment kind of thing. I'm thinking it's some kind of being that lives inside of the mirror. Maybe the mirror is a gateway into another world and it kind of leaves the residue of the last person who went inside of it. So like this being that comes out of a mirror and pulls human beings inside of the mirror and eats them alive or something like that. Sucks their soul in. Cool, on to the next scene then. Erin, you're the narrator now, Isabel's the witness, and Michaela and I will be the watchers. So this is going to be the following day. Uh, Maggie has spent an uneventful night in her new home. And um, yeah, uh, so she she goes to work, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) 
So uh, Maggie and the doctor, uh, Dr. Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yep. Maggie and uh, Dr. Colonel uh, arrive outside Dorian's cabin and it's a uh, pretty pretty classic pub. Looks a little bit run down, you know, like dark colours. Um, there's a few, It's you know, it's the middle of the day but there are still a few drunkards sitting around drinking beer low lighting there's there's an old man with a sign that says the end is nigh what else do they see when they enter the pub to the left is the pub owner and he's standing at the bar with a cloth and a tankard in his hand you see him spit into it as he polishes the <laughs> the tankard uh there's there's a number of um well-rounded <laughs> barmaids <laughs> okay um who are serving the customers beer um ale that sort of thing as well yeah and i i think you know um uh, some of them are certainly uh work working ladies as well multi-talented <laughs> multi-talented you might say yes so you can see uh, a few of them drinking uh with the the patrons who are there you know trying to get trying to get some coin uh very quickly the pub owner gestures to the room upstairs and maggie and dr colonel are taken up they hear some some moans coming from the room (laughs) (laughs) and they step into this small shabby bedroom what does the bedroom look like quite sparse i'd say say there's a little wash basin in one corner maybe a little vanity with a mirror in the bed it smells very bad it smells very damp the it's an unkept bed with the sheets that were once white now just dark brown <laughs> jesus i i don't want to give birth on that bed <laughs> like brownish gray uh yeah and the pub owner just very briskly Kind of tells them, you know, he wants this baby out of her and out of here. The doctor greets the woman. Help me! Ah! Top of the morning to you. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the afternoon, I should say. <sighs> do, you, do you have something for the pain, please? Of course, anything, yes. Um, anything. Maggie, let's let's get get, get her some of the, um, the old opium, shall we? Uh, right away, sir. <laughs> no. I reach into my little, uh, my nurse's kit and I pull out uh, some opium that is in the form that would have been taken in the 1890s. <laughs> <laughs> Double dose, Love shall we? Wait, no, it, it, I think it would have been morphine and not opium. Yes, um, so I administer the morphine. Doctor, how dilated is she? Very dilated, I'd have to say. <laughs> Do you know what that means? No. Oh, my God. How, um, how, how, how open the cervix is. Yeah. So you would have to measure with your fingers. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, this was, that was a very yes and moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, She's very dilated. <laughs> so it's going to be in, t- in centimeters from one to ten. Thank you. <laughs> By Jove, it's eleven centimeters. <laughs> it's very dilated, I'd have to say. Oh, okay, Miss. Um, what was your name again? 
Tanya. Tanya, Miss Tanya, it is a, you're about ready to push now. We need you to push. Your baby is ready to pop out, as they say. Do, okay, do they just, say that, Miss Maggie? Doctor, you've said that all the time. I don't <laughs> care. Just get this thing right, of course. out of me. Of course, of course. We need um, you to push, Tanya. Push? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very odd sound coming from it. That's the first time I've heard of a sound like that from a pusher. Okay. <laughs> push. <laughs> I can see its head. I can see its head. Oh, the shoulders are coming out now. I'm just taking over from the doctor <laughs> yeah. at this point. <laughs> Doctor's like wiping his brow. Doctor's yeah, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there we go. You're done, Tanya. You're, you've got a beautiful baby boy. Oh, thank God. <sighs> just the placenta now. <laughs> and the, uh, the baby does... Uh, to everyone's relief, emit a cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, what does the baby look like? Covered in gross stuff, I'd yeah. imagine, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess I wouldn't see it until you've like wiped it clean and hopefully. <laughs> yes, wiping it, wiping it. Yeah, so Maggie, what, what do you do with the baby? Uh, so I, I take the baby and I, yes, I, I give it a good wash down. Got some water with me. And wipe down the baby. It's crying. It looks looks like a healthy baby. Mushied face, as they do uh, when they come out. Uh, I'm going to hand it to Tanya to hold her baby for the first time. Oh, my sweet little boy. I shall name you Samuel. That's a lovely name, Tanya. Hi, very lovely. And uh, as Tanya is, is looking at her baby, Samuel... The baby turns its head towards you, Maggie, and seems to look you directly in the eyes. But, you know, it's still being a baby, still, like, just sort of kicking around and looking looking around. And then, almost as if in your head, you hear a strange whisper. <laughs> you can't make it out anything except the word whore. Oh, my. That's a... Uh unprofessional of me to think <clears throat> uh, what a peculiar the baby can't can't be staring at me the baby babies can't see anything at this time it, it must just have uh, it's just turning its head a little bit that that's all it, it can't be st- the babies can barely open their eyes at this point so it can't really be looking at me I'm just feeling a bit freaked out from my stay at the new house, that's all. You look a bit pale there, Maggie. Oh, I, uh, I haven't had breakfast yet. Right, well, you know what they say, breakfast is the most important meal. They do say that, yes. I don't believe it, of course, but the doctor kind of shrugs. How are you feeling, Tanya? Are you good to go? Um, I could do with a long rest. And you've earned it. So, the the owner of the pub and... I'm assuming the pimp as well, barges in at that moment and um, basically asks you to remove the baby now that it's been born. And he's like, yeah, just take take it wherever. I don't care what you do with it. That's no, not my baby. No, you can't. You can't take him. He's not yours. Is, is he yours? Is he mine? I don't sleep with for talent. That's not really our job, sir. Maggie's got a point. All right. I see how it is. Uh... You're a uh, fine, upstanding gentleman, sir, and he reaches out to shake your hand. I give my hand to be shaken. And you feel um, some notes dropped into it. 
So we're going to be taking the baby now. <laughs> and doing what exactly? It's a newborn. I hear there's an orphanage nearby. We could probably give it to an them. An orphanage? No, I'm his mother. This is true. We did pull him out of you. You know what I said, love. You're either out on the streets or your baby is. But, but Samuel, I, I don't want to do this. I think at that point I just take the baby from you. No! <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you you leave carrying a crying baby with Tanya's sobs being heard increasingly in the distance as you leave the pub. The doctor is, is leading the way, so you're kind of just forced to follow Maggie. Doctor, what are you planning to do with this baby? What am I going to do with it? I'm not going to do anything with it. Nothing at all. He's a little monster. Go leave it in an orphanage somewhere and we can be done with it all. None the wiser. This is a newborn child. It needs milk. It needs... What are the... What orphanage is going to just have breast milk standing by? I hear the orphanage nearby has breast milk standing by. Where do you hear that? I'd rather not divulge my sources there. And at that point, the doctor just turns and leaves you with the baby. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna What are you gonna do? Well, doctor says there's they're able to care for a newborn baby at the local orphanage, so I guess I might as well try. The baby is wailing in my arms, and I I take off my scarf and I wrap it up in my scarf so it can at least be a little bit warm and tuck it into my coat as well. And I start my way onto the orphanage, hoping I can get there in time, as it does need feeding straight away. And as you are walking along the cobbled streets, carriages and people bustling around you, you hear that whisper again. Demon. Um, not a superstitious person. I don't, never really worried about demons before. Intrusive thoughts are getting really odd. I'm not sure what is meant to be a demon here. Obviously not the baby. Is somebody here? Is there somebody? I turn around to see if anybody's there, but I don't see anybody anywhere near me. Everybody's just... It's a very busy street and people are going about their day. I shouldn't be able to hear anybody whispering anything too far away. It's bustling, there's horse-drawn carriages going past... Vendors are yelling about their wares. I shouldn't be able to hear anybody whispering and all this ruckus and the baby is bawling its eyes out. Odd. And we'll end the scene there. So to clarify, the clue is a whispering voice that follows Maggie. Okay, here is my theory. A spirit that is very misogynistic is following the inhabitants of Annie's house. It punishes women for their perceived sins. It created the stain on the mirror when it smote the last inhabitant. Okay, so my conclusion is that a spirit has lived in the house that Maggie is now staying in, and it is now following Maggie reaching out to her in any way that it can. So I still have no idea. I'm thinking given that the voice said demon, that it's a demonic presence of some sort, maybe possessing Maggie, or maybe, this would be even cooler, but maybe Maggie is the demon and she's forgotten her demonic self and these voices are kind of like her subconscious coming to the surface or something like that. I guess we'll soon find out. Thank you.
So, I went sort of more in the direction of a demonic spirit. Um, so my thinking was that this spirit was kind of attached to the mirror, inside the mirror, and when Maggie looked at it or touched it, it sort of transferred itself onto her. And yeah, so so the spirit could be, maybe it's Annie's, Annie Chapman's spirit, maybe it's the spirit of the Ripper himself, who knows? So, Maggie is walking down the streets of London carrying a wailing baby. People don't really pay her any mind as there's a lot of hustle and bustle and noise anyway. Crying children in the street aren't that unusual. Uh, And she eventually finds herself coming up to the gates of the orphanage. It's just in the middle of town, nowhere particularly uh, out of the way or unusual, um, but it does have a very dingy sort of feel. There's not a lot of funding that goes into this orphanage and the paint is peeling off. There is a gate uh, inside. Uh, you can see a couple of children playing in the little garden type area, Um, but they don't look particularly happy or unhappy. They just kind of look a little bit bored playing with some sticks in the the ground. Maggie goes up to the gate and has to call out. The gate is locked, and so she will need to call for somebody there, the uh, matron, the head matron, who I'm guessing is Patricia Carter. Uh, hello. Hello, matron. <laughs> After a little while. Taking your fair time. Oh, yes. She's busy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Hello, hello. hello what can matron. I do for um, you? Well, uh, I'm left in quite an unfortunate position. You see, I have this ah, yes, newborn many baby. Are. Oh, um, oh, dear. Yes. Well, it's not it's not my child. Oh. Um, I was just kind of given it and tasked with... <laughs> Given it, yes, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need it to be cared for, and because it's a newborn, it, it needs to be fed quite urgently. Yes, of course. Uh, well, uh, we do have a wet nurse on hand. Oh, you do? Yes, okay, of that's, course. Okay, that's great news. Yes, oh, well, uh, come in, come in. Uh, bring uh, her? Um, him, his name is Samuel. Oh, bring Samuel along this way. Okay, day. Walk behind the matron. Yeah. Take her inside. The inside of the place is a bit dark. Uh, There are a couple of lights that have clearly blown, so it's only kind of half lit. Um, The matron uh, leads you into the entranceway and takes you up the stairs into the, what looks to be a number of dormitory rooms. And uh, walking down the hall, you start to hear the sound of babies crying. Uh, As the matron goes to open the door, uh, there is a nursery. Just a line of newborn babies. Uh, Lots and lots of cots. And a couple of them are crying. But for the most part, a lot of them are very, very quiet. We're getting a lot of newborns in here, you see. Oh, um, yes, see, it's quite, quite a busy establishment that you have here. Yes, well, we are near that brothel. Ah, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
many, many women in unfortunate circumstances these days. Yes, and unfortunate, quite unfortunate. Um, oh, yes. As Maggie surveys the room, she notices one child in particular is standing up in its cot. It is a, a slightly older child, maybe about one and a half, two years old, uh, an older toddler, and it's standing in its cot and staring directly at Maggie. Okay, just kind of look away and slowly look back again. Is he still staring at me? He is still staring at you. Oh gosh, that makes me feel so uncomfortable. Um, I really don't like children anyway. Why? Why is this kid staring at me right now? Um, okay, maybe I'll just try and get out of here as soon as possible. This place is kind of giving me the creeps right now. Uh, so, Matron, where is the wet nurse? Oh, yes, I'm sure she'll be along any moment. Let me just ring the bell. I'll go and ring the bell to call the wet nurse. There's, like, several screams of kids shouting <laughs> in the background. <laughs> and I'm going to say the matron notices the baby that's standing up, and she goes over and she's like, Oh, Josiah, come on, come along now, back to bed with you. I have a message. Oh, uh... A what? I have a message for a lady. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, look at you. Where did you learn to speak like that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and the baby motions for the matron to lean down a little bit. It's going to whisper oh. in her ear. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, what funny things kids say, eh? Oh, wild imaginations. <laughs> what did he now, say? <clears throat> would you like a cup of tea? Uh, sure, yeah, I'll have a cup of tea. Thank you. Lovely. <laughs> Just ring the bell. <laughs> you have to pass it on. <clears throat> okay, now, now, settle down, Josiah. It's all right. It's, you it's, have uh, to pass it on. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Where's that bloody nurse? <clears throat> Let me just, um, yeah, I, I think we think we've got some hot water left just over here. Okay. And she's like shaking as she's making the tea. Um, I'm going to walk closer to Josiah because I'm a little bit curious now. And I'll just go, pass on what, sweetie? Uh, <clears throat> oh, no, uh, uh, probably uh, shouldn't touch him. You know, he could have a melody of some sort. Um, <clears throat> here's, your, here's your tea. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just curious about the name of this establishment. Yes. Is it again Carter's Orphanage for Heretics? Heretics, yes. yes. <laughs> so what's the criteria, I suppose, for a child coming to this establishment? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny, that. Um, uh, no, we're just a regular orphanage, of course. That, that, I'm afraid, is a bit of a joke on the part of our founder, Mr. Herald. <laughs> Yes, it's um, so we're a perfectly normal orphanage here. Yeah, I mean, we have to be, we have to take in every child that comes to our door because every child deserves a chance in this world. Don't you agree? Oh, yes, yes, I perfectly agree with that. Um, yeah. Now, um, tell me, have you, um, just a random question, have you had someone pass on recently, someone close to you? No, no, I haven't. No, no, s s someone you, uh, Someone you know of died, perhaps, then? No. Um, my family's perfectly healthy. 
No. Uh, perhaps a uh, jilted lover or some such. Oh, uh, no, I I don't participate in in romance and such. Oh, very sensible. Very sensible. Yes, yes. Yeah, this whole this whole house is a is a warning to young ladies. In fact, uh, yes, it certainly is a stark reminder. <laughs> yes. So um, well, well, it probably doesn't mean anything in that case. Well, the message. Ah, uh, right. Yes. Um. Although I'm curious, though, what did he say? Well, like I said, he's, he's only a child. He's barely two two years old. It's simply wild ramblings, isn't it? Um, Josiah is still staring this entire time. He he's got quite a uh, a deep gaze, though. Don't wouldn't you say? Oh, I mean, all babies have that. Um, <laughs> 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 it can be quite a lot if you're not used to it. Um, he just said that um, a, a man uh, from beyond the grave has a message for you, but. Um, uh, he he must have heard that from somewhere. Must oh, must be oh uh, so some of the nurses or uh, uh, I heard spreading it from the man. Which man? The man from beyond. What was his name? He has no name. He has no face. He's just from elsewhere, and he doesn't like you. He doesn't like you very much at all. Oh well, I I cannot think who this man could be. Um. I don't think I've done anything to cross anyone before. You're a whore. Oh, Josiah, where on earth did you hear that word from? Hey, kids these days, am I right? What does yes. it mean, matron? Oh, it means a, um, a woman of loose morals. Oh, are you loose morals? I can assure you I am an upstanding woman. Um, of course you are, dear. Yes. <laughs> like I said, it's, he must have just heard it from, from some, probably one of the older kids, you know. Suddenly Josiah breaks his gaze and he starts to smile. He just looks like a regular kid again. And he goes back to sitting in his cot and playing with his feet like any other child. <laughs> Wasn't that odd? Uh, how's your tea? Uh, uh, oh, yes, it's good, good, thank you. Um, I, I would very much like to be on my way now. Of course, woman such as you must have a b busy day. Yes, yes, quite. Yes. <clears throat> well, good luck out there. Why, why is she so serious? Um, can I just, I'm just gonna like hold out the baby to you. Oh, <laughs> of course. Uh, little Samuel, was it? Yes, yes, Samuel. Lovely. We will take good care of him, don't you worry. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Um, Perhaps the wet nurse could finally arrive. The wet nurse arrives and her clothes are a bit scuffled, her bonnet's a bit wonky and she looks like she's just changed in a rush. Em, hello. There you are, Mindy. Goodness gracious, girl. Got a baby that needs feeding. Oh, oh okay. Um, let's get started, shall we then? Okay. I'll just kind of roughly palm the baby off to you. Oh, okay. Let's get started then, shall we? And she kind of takes the baby and leaves the room hurriedly. As you can see, all's well. Yes, yes. Well, um, thank you. Thank you very much, Matron. Had a lovely time. Lovely, lovely cup of tea. Oh, yes. good. Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> so I'm just going to back out slowly and then 
hurry down the stairs, out the front door. What is Maggie thinking in this moment? I'm very overwhelmed at the moment, and just with all the kids around, I just don't want to be around them anymore in case one of them stares at me or says weird things like calls me a whore or, I don't know, says demon or something. And I can't think of anything that I've done in my past that would warrant a male, I guess, having uh, bad thoughts or feelings towards me. And I, I don't recall doing anything morally wrong. So I'm not sure what the, the child is talking about, but I feel slightly disturbed by it nonetheless. As Maggie is thinking this, she, in her head, not so much as the children around her, it sounds different, she doesn't think it's coming from the outside, she hears a child laughing that slowly morphs into the laughter of an adult man. Now that, that's just my mind going to bad places. I just need to focus on the present right now. Just need to walk out this door and head home and not think about children or men in any form. Yes, straight home, straight home. Steve, okay, <laughs> wow, okay. So... The clue was the message from beyond, from a man. Okay, so the clue from this scene was um, the message from beyond that was from a male. And my conclusion is that there is a spirit, a male spirit, haunting Maggie. So maybe she had a husband and a child that she potentially murdered and their spirits have melded together. Um, so this is from the laughter that um, changed from a child to a man. Um, so I think there's something, some connection between either male children or between children and males that Maggie is maybe hiding. Okay, so that definitely changed my idea quite a bit. I'm thinking it's some kind of presence now who, and this is slightly disturbing, but who inseminates women to create like an army of psychic children or something like that. I'm thinking like some kind of fungoid creature or like a chitinous fungoid creature, something that's very insectoid, you know, something that is very much um, like ants or like these multifaceted, multi-eyed, hairy, arachnid creatures that kind of inseminate and create armies. Yeah. I, I think that this is, it, it could still be a kind of demonic spirit, we've heard it's male. I am thinking it could be the Ripper's spirit that's being sort of channeled through babies or young children. Or I'm also thinking perhaps since because it is sort of travelling with her and because it's being channeled through these other young people, um, maybe it's like a broken off fragment of his soul that came from the mirror. And because we've seen that sort of humanoid shape in the mirror, I'm thinking that if this fragment, this soul fragment, were to take form, it would be sort of human-like, sort of like a shadow, essentially. Uh, so just to reiterate my theory before and what I was going for, the 
creature is, well, used to be a man uh, who has now passed on and is a misogynist who now punishes women for their perceived quote-unquote sins. Now, even though he used to be a man, I believe that he is now a human-like demon creature who has completely lost the ability to differentiate different types of people and now just punishes anybody who has a general form of what he believes. Sometimes even men, if they are the inhabitants of these house, he still is like, oh, that is a woman that I must punish. And we will end that session there. What do these whispers mean? And who or what do they come from? What will Maggie find as she continues down this path? And is she really being truthful with herself? Find out on the next episode of Don't Forget Your Towel. If you like what you hear, please connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at dfyt underscore podcast, on Facebook at Don't Forget Your Tile Podcast, and through email at dfytpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a few dollars to spare and you've been liking what you hear, please consider donating to us on Patreon. But if you don't have a few dollars to spare, that's all good too. Just keep listening and like and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Every single rating goes a long way to helping us increase our reach and to share the RPG love. Till next time, and keep your towels at the ready.